Let's Play 2. On this episode, we're covering the latest news and we'll include a bonus interview. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. I have not had the three go-throughs yet. It works great in a fantasy. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, July 15th. I'm Al Melkier, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper. And uh, this is a, a double episode. You're going to want to stick around for uh, the second part if you are a fan of the Lee Sklar YouTube channel or a fan of Lee Sklar, just the musician. Or even if you're not, absolutely stick around for the whole thing. Uh, you will not regret it uh, at all. So, uh, But uh, we'll start off this doubleheader with uh, you know more typical episode. Um uh, covering the latest news and uh, DVR, of course, the big news uh, on uh, on uh, Tuesday was finally, 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 Yasiel Puig finds a home. He has agreed to uh, a deal with the Braves. So, um, you know, what's your your thinking of uh, that as a landing spot for Yasiel Puig? It's probably the best team in terms of quality he could have landed with. I think we were looking at the Orioles as maybe the the best all-round situation from a home park and where he lit in the lineup standpoint, but being surrounded by a really talented group in Atlanta, uh, maybe having a spot to call his own there as well is, is really interesting. I wonder you know, if this puts a little more pressure on Austin Riley. I know Riley can play third base and he can move around a little bit. This is an Atlanta team, though, that already, I think, top to bottom, had one of the better lineups in the NL, and maybe they weren't optimally built for the universal DH and adding Puig to the mix sort of offsets and then some the loss of Nick Markakis who opted out of this season. So uh, this seems like a great fit. And, you know, it's interesting that even though there's no team that wants to make a long-term commitment to Yasiel Puig, he continues to end up on teams with championship aspirations. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the strange twist for a guy that had an unusually difficult time finding a home for 2020. Yeah, no, that is uh, kind of a, a strange pattern uh, for Puig, but uh, yeah, it's certainly a great environment for him uh, team-wise. Uh, for a right-handed hitter, I think this is probably the worst situation he's ever had in terms of a home park for right-handed power. Uh, truest Field, I believe that's what they're calling that park in Cobb County now. Um that's uh, not a good park at all for right hand, right-handed uh, home run power, but maybe that gets again neutralized like you say by the lineup that's that's around Puig. Uh, DVR, I'm just going to ask you this, and and you know maybe you're you were more onto this <laughs> than I was, but if you had to guess um, where Puig ranked in terms of outfielders for 12 team roto value, five by five roto value in 2019, where where do you think, or maybe you know it, but uh, where where did he uh, where do you think he landed in those rankings? I would guess he was probably in the 35 to 40 range. I thought maybe even a little lower than that because uh, I think that, you know, I'm judging from that that we both sort of had the perception it was an off year for Yasuo Puig. He was top 25. Hmm. <laughs> he was top 25. So um, in, a, in a relatively down year. And I think the perception, at least in my case, is that when he was with the Reds, he had the power but not the batting average. And then he had no power with the Indians, but he brought the batting average up. And that all kind of... Uh, evened out. And then, you know, he gave you the stolen bases along the way. So uh, with this new team, this new 
ballpark do you think Yasiel Puig remains a, a top 25 outfielder? Yeah, I think he's right in that range. Again, the, the quality of the lineup sort of buoys those counting stats a little bit. You look at three consecutive seasons with at least 15 steals and at least 23 home runs. The prorated version of that player, of course, those numbers probably both fall into single digits, but the batting average floor looks like it's probably the 255 that he hit way back in 2015. He's been at 263 or higher four years running. So just a really consistent player. And uh, I think he's probably going to go... If I had to project his ADP from here on out, I would assume somewhere around pick 150, maybe 175 at the later end of the range will be the new place that Yasiel Puig goes, which is a pretty big bump from where he's been going since there was a lot of concern that he just wouldn't find a team. Yeah, yeah. And as somebody who's got Puig in a couple of leagues, uh, you know, I've been kind of looking at the rosters and just planning out, okay, how am I going to fill this hole that I've, you know, Got with uh, Puig there, so that's no no longer something I have to worry about. Is uh, you know we hit wave waivers and fab uh, in the upcoming days, uh, so I think that's that's certainly a relief for a lot of people. And yeah, you know, we've got some good news too in terms of players starting to come back uh, from being absent after positive COVID tests. Uh, two of them that have come back very recently, Tyler Glasnow and Charlie Blackman. And uh, you know now that they're back, we're getting a little bit more uh, detail in terms of what their situation was. Neither one really had um, severe symptoms. So, you know, probably you could surmise that from the fact that they are back now. And not only are they back, but Tyler Glasnow threw uh, 49 pitches in a simulated game on Tuesday. Uh, Charlie Blackman, it's not, he's been working out, but it's not clear if he's going to be ready for opening day just yet. But, you know, if you want to be an optimist, you can say, well, that it, it hasn't been ruled out either. So, um, is it basically just, you know, draft Charlie Blackman as, as you would have, um, you know, under any other circumstance? It's close to it. I mean, I think if you're trying to project a return date, I can't imagine it's too far after opening day. If he's in camp right now, barring some kind of setback that would be very unexpected at this point. I think with Tyler Glass now, there's maybe a lesson here for other players who are away. We've talked about the fact that not every player who's away has tested positive for COVID, uh, but players away from the team can still throw. Even a player who might be asymptomatic with the virus could be throwing. So they're not necessarily going to show up for camp as far behind as we think. It's going to be different from player to player. So I think we do have to keep our minds open to the possibility that uh, even someone who reports the camp later this week, a pitcher may have already been throwing 70 plus pitches on his own, depending on where that player is and how he's feeling physically. So it's just a don't panic sort of reminder as more drafts approach at the end of the week. Just because we haven't seen a player just yet at workouts doesn't mean they're undraftable. It doesn't mean that they're going to have uh, several starts where they're going to be replaced in the third or fourth or fifth inning because they're not stretched out enough. Yeah, no, that uh, definitely is a lesson we can can take away from this. Uh, we also have some injuries uh, to talk about here. Uh, Byron Buxton, this was a look like a scary one. He had to be carted off the field. He got his cleat stuck in the outfield turf. Uh, fortunately, uh, there's been uh, no uh, evidence of structural damage in his left foot, but uh, he was in, in quite a bit of pain. And, um, and I, I'm sure that they'll uh, investigate more in terms of what uh, the actual injury is for Buxton. And uh, there's there's not really a timetable yet for his return. Willie Calhoun, uh, th- from what I've read, DVR doesn't seem like this is uh, a big injury. But again, you know, we see this a lot under normal circumstances where a player sits out a day or two with what is reported as a, 
a, a not severe injury and it winds up lingering. So uh, Willie Calhoun probably going to miss uh, at least a few days with a tight right hip and his teammate, Robinson Chirinos, he had a home plate collision with Scott Heineman, um, rolled his ankle. Not sure if there's a more serious ankle injury there, but uh, that one at least in reports that I've seen is being discussed as a more serious injury than Calhoun's. So um, people who have Robinson Chirinos, and this is, you know, probably either two catcher leagues or, you know, maybe a 15 teamer with one catcher. Who do you like in the, uh, the waiver pool of catchers, basically catchers that have an ADP above 350. So let's say you've got Chirinos in a one catcher league with 15 teams. Who's out there that um, would be the, the most viable replacement? The late catcher I like who's available a lot of places is Jason Castro. I think the the way he was hitting the ball last year in Minnesota, great stat cast numbers. I think there's a, a nice set of plate skills there. So the OBP is a little better than you'd expect for a guy that might be a batting average liability. Um, the lineup's not bad around him in Anaheim either. So he's one of those late catchers I like quite a bit. If you're just looking for even a more power heavy sort of guy than Castro. Mike Zanino is basically free right now. If you look at Mike Zanino's projection versus someone like Tom Murphy's projection, it makes you wonder why there's a 250 pick difference in their ADP. Murphy goes a lot earlier. Zanino's basically the same guy in the projection. So I would say Castro and Zanino are probably the first two guys who come to mind because they should get a lot of playing time for their respective teams as well. And I think playing time is going to be really important this year. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Murphy might also just be getting a little overdrafted, not only because you can get a similar player much later, but as we talked about on a previous episode, I don't think that the the um, schedule for the Mariners really favors their hitters very much. So uh, in fact, I had to make room uh, for a player that I um, got off of uh, Fab in an Otnu League uh, today, and I dropped Kyle Seeger, uh, you know, for, for that reason. Uh, it was kind of a tiebreaker. So uh, you know, that's, uh, definitely something, uh, that maybe you can consider. And I'm guessing, uh, that the, the silence there on, uh, Isaiah kind of <laughs> uh, you're, you're still not buying in, even though, uh, Michael Beller and I talked about this on, uh, on Tuesday's episode that, uh, that the hype is building. <laughs> yeah, he's, I don't know. He, he's fine for two catcher leagues. I just don't know if he's going to hit enough to be viable in one catcher formats. All right. Well, uh, you know, difference of opinions. What what makes the show go around, right? <laughs> and now for the nightcap portion of our doubleheader. I'm very excited about this. We've got a very special guest here. He is the bassist for Phil Collins. He's been the bassist for James Taylor, Jackson Brown, Toto. Uh, basically, if you've listened to any music from the 70s or the 80s or since then, uh, whether you know it or not, you are familiar with this man's work. He also has a very popular YouTube channel, and he is a member of uh, a supergroup known as The Immediate Family. Uh, very, very happy to welcome Lee Sklar to the show. Lee, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us and taking time out of uh, what I know is an extremely busy schedule. Uh, I am thrilled to be here. I was, I've been looking forward to this and um, I'm just here for for whatever you need. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, you know what, what we need here, I think is, uh, is some good stories. And I know from watching your channel that uh, you've got a lot of them and uh, it's just incredible to me how much work you have done with baseball players, uh, you know, given your line of work uh, in music, uh, you told the story, 
on a uh, video you did for your channel about two weeks ago where you talked about um, taking part in a recording with the 1981 World Series champion Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, I think- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was a pretty cool story uh, over this past offseason. You recorded an album with uh, Pirates pitcher Stephen Brault. You've worked with Bernie Williams and Bronson Arroyo. So I'll just leave it to you, Lita. Um, regale us with whatever uh, stories you have from those uh, those encounters and, and how those things even came to be. Well, the Dodger one was was really fun. I mean, uh, I I remember going, you know, watching watching the games, and that was that was an amazing series. And uh, when it was over, a, a friend of mine, uh, a great guitarist producer, uh, Chris Bond, contacted me. I had done like Hall and Oates with him and different different uh, record albums, but he contacted me and said, are you around? We're going to go in the studio with the Big Blue Wrecking Crew. And, uh, and we're going to cut We Are the Champions <laughs> with them. And it was Ron Say and Rick Monday, um, Steve Yeager, Jerry Royce, and Jay Johnston, I think, were the, were, were the representatives of the Dodgers on this. And it was like the day after the last game of the series. Man, these guys were really cranked at that point. <laughs> and we got in, and even Helen Dell, who was the Dodger organist, was on the session with us. And Je- Jeff Picaro was playing drums, and, uh, and Chris was playing guitar and stuff. But it was funny. These, the, they were like so wound up and, uh, and so not good but having the the time of their lives in there and it was really fun and a whole bunch of things kind of evolved out of that um so we did that i forget what the b-side was on it um but they actually went on the tonight show with johnny carson and and performed this and it was great but they wanted to like you know it was like playing in a bar being in the studio with these guys you know and like the guys are a fraternity party and they want to get up and they want to play Fannie Mae and you know, do all this stuff. So it was, it was a kick um, being in there with them. But the thing for me, my biggest memory was I had uh, several, several years earlier, we had built a base um, that I call Frankenstein because it was a bunch of pieces that we put together and um, it was still just raw wood at that point. And at the end of the session, the guys were signing baseballs. And I looked at them, I said, hey, sign my base. <laughs> and so they all signed my base. He said, really? I said, yeah, let's sign it. And, um, and it was funny because shortly after that, I was doing a gig with James Taylor and um, Lynn Swan and Rocky Blyer from the Steelers were there and they saw the base and they said, oh, baseball players are, p- you, need, you need football players on here. So they signed it. And at this point, the base has probably 400 signatures from, you know, you name it, from George Lucas to, to Andy Griffith on it. But, um, but it was really funny. I had, I, it was really fun doing that session with those guys. And we, uh, we all um, kind of stayed in, in touch. I stayed in touch mo- mostly with uh, Jerry Royce because he lived near me at the time. And we'd go out to lunch together. But the weird part was it was almost like a little bit of voodoo that I never clear-coded the bass. So as I would play, eventually, like, I would rub some of the signatures off. And when somebody would get rubbed off the bass, they would get dropped from the team (laughs) or they would leave. And I remember bumping into Steve Yeager, and he was still with the team at that point. And I told him this, and he said, rub me, rub me, because he wanted to move on. So, <laughs> so that was really, I mean, it was really fun. And they had a kind of 
of a Dodger reunion a few years back and, and I went down to the Dodger stadium and all the guys were there and I actually brought the single with me and had them all sign it. Um, so I've, I've got that at home, which is really cool. But it seems like ball players, you know, so many people in athletics really want to do music. Um, and, and some of them, you know, it's, it's very, very um, basic hobby, but some of them like, like when I got called to do Bernie Williams, uh, a friend of mine, Lauren Harriet, um, has done a lot of production work with uh, with baseball teams, and so he called me and he said, "Look, we're going to do an album back in New York, and it's for um, Bernie Williams." And I said, "The center fielder for the Yankees?" He said, "Yeah, he's a guitar player." And I had done some previous projects with guys, you know, and they were okay. But I'll tell you, we got to the studio and Bernie took his guitar out, and we all just went, "Oh crap!" I mean, this guy was a world class musician i mean we really uh we knew we had to step up because this was not going to be somebody's vanity project this was like really serious recording and we and i talked with him and he said when he was a kid in puerto rico um he went through school and he was basically a music major through everything and but he loved playing ball and i guess uh somebody saw him playing and his career emanated from that, but he never stopped composing and, and playing guitar. Apparently, he always had one in the dugout and, and was always playing. And But he was, he's great in that kind of like Latin fusion um, style. But he, he was such a delight because he, he understands music so well. And uh, his compositional skills were really, really good. And we premiered uh, his his album it was we did it in Chicago and it was um, I think it was the All Star Game and the first the first gig we played was uh, we did a thing at the House of Blues in Chicago and put together a great band for it and then we played the Field Museum and Michael Bublé opened for him and uh, uh, it, it was great it went off really good. And um, there's some video of it, I think, the, on YouTube. And uh, then we did like the, the Ferguson show with him. But Bernie's like stone serious about his music. And that was really, really thrilling where I think like with Bronson, it was more of a, uh, it was just sort of a, you know, a dream of his. But I, I don't know if he intended to go on with music where Bernie's gone on after retiring from baseball. He's still working hard at that. Where Bronson, he just wanted to really get in the studio. We, we had a great band, I think, with Kenny Aronoff. And um, we were doing songs like covers of like Toad the Wet Sprocket songs and all, all these kind of alternative band things. My favorite part of that session, though, was um, Kenny Aronoff, who's one of the great drummers in the world, he did all of like John Mellencamp's records. And um, he's one of the main call guys in the world. If you ever watch a TV show and there's a band and then there's a drummer with big shades on and he's bald, it's probably Kenny. Uh, but he's also a jock and he wanted Bronson to pitch to him. And it was great because we were out in, in the parking lot of the studio and Kenny brought his glove. And so Bronson, you know, winds up and he fires one at Kenny and it sounded like a shotgun hitting that glove. And Kenny was like shaking his hand and we're going, oh, this is great. We haven't even started and we've already like destroyed the drummer's hand. And Bronson turns and looks at me and he goes, hell, I pulled it. 
you know, it's like it wasn't <laughs> wasn't like a hundred five mile an hour or anything like that. But Bronson was great. And he, he was showing us like home movies when he was like a little kid playing uh, ball and stuff. Really sweet guy, and we had fun doing that. But the, the most recent surprise, and this was once again, all these things came through Lauren Harriet uh, organizing them. Was the Stephen Brawl project, um, and. Uh, and when he said, uh, the, when he described it to me, and he said, look, we're going to be going to the studio with this guy's pitcher, young pitcher, and um, we're going to do Broadway with him, Broadway songs. And I kind of went, wow, that's, that's biting off a chunk right there. And man, lo and behold, we got into the studio, and he is so good. I mean, he could, li- he could be uh, you know, in a cast on a Broadway show easily. Uh, and and be one of the leads in it. Uh, so it was, we started talking and he said like through school, he was a theater arts major. You know, it's, it's great when you meet guys that have like multiple abilities like that. And, but he said, yeah, no, I've, I've always loved, you know, music. And, and he sat there at the console, you know, with, with uh, like a conductor's score. And he could, he could read the whole thing, call out parts and, and, and stuff. And uh, Kenny played on part of it on drums, and Vinnie Caliuta uh, played drums on the rest. Tim Pierce was playing guitar. I'm trying to remember now. Jeff Babco, I think, was? Yeah, Jeff Babco was playing keyboards on it. Jeff, who, who does the, he's in the Kimmel show band, and uh, Jeff's one of the great keyboard players in town. And, and it was really actually, he was the backbone of, of the band because he was putting together all the charts and Jeff's just brilliant at it. So we all kind of sat there and ordered lunch and he'd be in the other room sweating over scoring paper and stuff. But um, Stephen was great, man. His, his interpretation of songs from Phantom and Hamilton and all these shows was, was really, you know, just great. Um, and as delightful a guy as possible, his folks were hanging out at the sessions and, you know, we found out about the family and it was, it was really um, kind of one of those things where you just go, this is, this is just great. This guy's it, it, having the position within baseball to then be able to, to move into another field easily. And you have kind of this team behind you. Because um, I know that they fully intended during the season to have the album available, I think, at the parks and stuff. And with the pandemic, God knows what's what's going to happen. Um, but uh, but it was really credible. And and that's really one of the things that that I love is when somebody comes in like that and they and they pull it out and and they've got it. And if, if baseball wasn't there for him, I think he could have had a good theater career. And maybe, maybe still, who knows? Oh, and, yeah. uh, and I think Josh Bell is also on that record as well. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be a cool thing to follow up on. See, you know, in fact, if the Pirates do do make that available. Uh, so Lee, while we've got you here with us, sure. um, there, there's some some good timing, I think, here. Um, so DVR has compiled a uh, brackets uh, of Yacht Rock hits and I, uh, I saw that for a second just before we co- before we talk. <laughs> so I'm going to leave it to DVR to explain that and uh, you know tell everybody when when they can go and vote on that and uh, you know maybe we can get, pick your brain on it a little bit. Yeah, while, yeah, while yeah let's to, let me know what's going on here. Yeah, so this is a little side project that I picked up during the pandemic. Uh, I found some old yacht rock videos. Uh, there was a series of 
probably 10 plus years ago that came out. And there were actors playing Michael McDonald and Holland Oates. And uh, it was kind of like if, if anyone's seen the movie Anchorman, it's kind of like when the news teams have their fights out in the alley. It's, it's sort of that vibe, but wow. just in like a short video series. So I started digging into the music a little bit more. And a lot of it's stuff that I heard growing up as a kid. It's not necessarily music I listen to frequently. And the reason I'm so interested in it is that there's this faction of people online who will fight a lot about what is actually Yacht Rock and what isn't. And I think there's this sort of like negative connotation about it, even though the music in most cases is still really good. I think a lot of people don't want to be labeled or have their songs or tracks yeah. labeled as Yacht Rock. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, is the, is Yacht Rock something that is pre- like prevalently discussed in the music community or is that just something that we as consumers are, are into? I've never heard anybody talk about it in my circle. So we're more concerned with elevator rock. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> no, I don't know. But looking at the at the lists on there, I mean, all this stuff's really credible music. But I, but I, you know, the thing is, when you start to deal with kind of uber fans of things, they get into like nuances and, and you know, and th- these long dissertations between each other about what's good, what's bad, how it's how it's presented. So, I mean, it was kind of a kick in, and I'm assuming, you know, with these kind of things, like if I think of something like Yacht Rock now, uh, it's kind of like there's so many cruises out there that you would sort of think this is a set list from like a, some, like a cruise mm-hmm. that, that went out. Um, Cause I know we just did one that was a rock legends cruise. Um, so it, it's hard to say, but I, most of the players I know, I've never really heard Yacht Rock coming up in conversation. <laughs> but, um, but looking at the list of songs on there, I've been involved in a pile of them. I know that are on tons of those records. So it's kind of looking at it from a different angle. But I'm, I'm going to investigate it more. And I may end up doing like something on my YouTube channel about Yacht Rock. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm always looking for content. And that seems like somewhere between content and an incontinent. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the most difficult thing trying to seed it for tournament purposes, my, my goal is to put an actual bracket out there, make a big list so people can listen to the tracks and then vote and come up with the ultimate Yacht Rock track at the end of it, which I'm sure would, would just be, the, be a lot of fun. But it's not, well, it's not necessarily like which track is the best track. It's which is the most Yacht Rock, which is the most true to this subgenre of music. Now, when these people are are dealing with it, what is their definition? What qualifies something to be Yacht Rock? I think that even is up for some debate. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's a Wikipedia definition that's out there, and it it's typically like a West Coast sound, and I I, I don't know. To me, it like. Christopher Cross's Sailing is a one seed because that has every single attribute, but then there's other songs on the list that don't have any of those attributes that still somehow qualify. Like To me, my interpretation is it's a song you'd hear while spending a day on a nice boat. And even within that, if you're on the boat yeah. after the sun goes down, your playlist is going to change compared to yeah. you know, 11 a.m. when you go out there. You might play... Uh, uh, Footloose, you know, a song you'd hear in, in Caddyshack or something at 11 a.m., but then you might play 
um, you know, something a lot more chill, a lot more laid back, even a lot more romantic a- after the, yeah, the sun goes. Depends down. on how much beer you took on the uh, on the cruise. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, to me, it was, so is it ultimately picking the ultimate song, or looking at all those things? I would think it would be cool to put together like the ultimate set. Yeah, the ultimate Out playlist. Of all those songs, the ultimate playlist. You know, like say. You could let's put together, you know, 12 or 15 songs that you would listen to during the course of the day and maybe put them together based on, like you just said, with the kind of mood you would have getting on the boat and then spending a day on the boat, getting really badly sunburned and, you know, and <laughs> chilling out in the evening. I, I mean, I'm going to investigate this further because looking at the bracketed list that you had on there, there's a lot of great songs and uh, and there's a lot of great moods. Uh, within those lists uh, for different times. So th- I guess there's a way of looking at it all. You could look for the ultimate song, but to me, finding like it's like the ultimate ball player or the ultimate song or the ultimate bass player and all this stuff, those never work for me, but as much as when you put together like a, a compilation and and you can really uh, orchestrate it, uh, is, is a, to, for me, it's a lot more fun to do that. But... I I think it's great that you that you're doing this. I think it's it's a it's a cool idea. Plus, it just exposes people to more and more music, which is really the important thing. Uh, I'm, I've certainly found that doing the site that I'm doing is so many people have commented on people that I've posted and said I never heard of them before, but I've been watching and I've just subscribed to their channel. And you know, this at this point, we're really a, a kind of a global community that's really finding things that can bind us together while we're all being separated is, is pretty cool. And I, I credit you for putting this, this whole thing out there. This is, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to look further into it. Well, I'll definitely uh, keep my eyes peeled for your yacht rock episode, uh, Lee on your YouTube channel <laughs> yeah. and uh, DVR. Is there an ETA for the brackets? I'm hoping to launch it on Friday. So that way it's cool. got about a full week before opening day kind of, takes the takes over the minds of people who follow me on Twitter at least just want to get it out there before uh, sports start to take their usual place yeah. in people's summer routines yeah distractions sets in by by starting a sporting season you know but just be with Yacht Rock just be make sure you get a sponsor like Dramamine or something for, <laughs> for your show <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> yeah but yeah I mean so are they really serious about starting the season they they are mm-hmm. uh, what nine days and counting here, and wow. uh, we're halfway through uh, the uh, Rob Beer Temple had a great term for it, not summer camp, but uh, well, fortunately I'm blanking on it. But whatever you call it, training camp, uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're halfway through it already. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what the dynamics are. I mean, they, they like yesterday they, or the past couple of days they opened Disney World in the height of like the worst, you know, state in the, in the in 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 the world right now for for this disease yet Disney thought it still would be okay to open and take people's temperatures. You know I mean? It's like, I, I hope everything, I hope everybody's okay. If they actually get the season going and, and, uh, and people started, you know, coming to games, uh, however, it's going to be presented that uh, they do everything they can to keep everybody safe. Cause I know there's no music being done. I mean, our, all my gigs through February of next year are postponed or canceled. Um, so let's keep our fingers crossed, but I, the main thing is just want people to be well and safe. 
Yeah, no, you know, we've talked about it quite a bit on the show here and it's, it's a very, you know, fraught thing to, uh, you know, that we, we do this, you know, we do this for a living and, uh, you know, people want their diversion and their, you know, their sports and, uh, but, you know, I would echo your sentiment, Lee, that, uh, you know, we, we just hope that, uh, this all goes as well as it possibly can and, uh, just try to keep everything in its, its proper perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Uh, well, um, Lee, we uh, every day on the show we uh, highlight a featured read, and uh, I probably would have picked this one anyways, just because it's it's a really good column from somebody I just uh, referenced, uh, Rob Beer Temple. He did a mailbag column. Pirates mailbag is Gregory Polanco poised for comeback season, but it's it's also really timely because he actually spends a good part of that mailbag addressing what Stephen Brault's role is going to be for this year, and um, and doing a little digging on Stephen Brault. He was really good at home last year at PNC Park, a 224 mm-hmm. average allowed, just a 371 slugging percentage. So, uh, you know, for people looking at streaming options, uh, read Rob's uh, piece and, you know, don't don't sleep on uh, on Stephen Brault. Um, no, he's great. He, and, but boy, he definitely he has a, he has a potentially a long career ahead of, ahead of him, you know, because he has options. I mean, that's the thing when you're in sports, you have a kind of a finite life expectancy within in sports but in music you can go on you know i mean horowitz was performing in his 90s uh you know and so i mean once once your viability as a ball player or hockey or whatever you know your you know your chosen you know sport is um for these guys they have a nice option available to and having the sports as a launching pad to get you know recognition and, and a fan base already is pretty cool. You know, I really admire the guys that are that are maintaining those kind of things. And Steven's definitely right up there near the top of those guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just thought that was such a cool story when I uh, learned about it uh, this this past winter uh, and saw the photo of of you, Lee, with uh, Vinny and uh, Steve and Jeff and everybody that was involved with that. That was so oh, cool. It was great. Um, real quick story here. Kenny Aronoff on one of the days was playing drums. And and uh, once again, he didn't learn from from his Bronson day. So he wanted to be pitched to <laughs> out there. But but but. Stephen ended up wadding up just a bunch of newspaper into a ball rather than bringing a ball. And he kept throwing it to Kenny and Kenny kept not catching it just because, you know, I mean, it's a a wad of paper. But at one point, Kenny turned and started to walk away and Stephen threw the ball and it landed right in the mitt. And Stephen turns around and he's, you know, just, you know, like, like he just won the World Series. It was like a funny moment. I've got video of it. and It was just great. Oh, well, that, that video needs to be seen. And also, why didn't he try to hit it with his drumsticks? Um. You know, I, I don't think he brought them out. I think he put on his jock hat and, uh, and came out into the alley with that. But Kenny's funny. He's a he's a real. I mean, he's strapping and he's really strong and everything. But every time we get around any athletes, he's he's just like you know, just a gomer man. He wants to be in there in the thick of it all and stuff. Uh, it's great. It's really great. Well, Lee, those were all awesome stories and just great to uh, to spend some time with you. And uh, if people aren't already watching you on YouTube, I, I don't know. I can't conceive of why they wouldn't be. But, um, you know, especially after uh, chatting with you here, I hope people do go on over. Uh, it, it's uh, Leland Sklar is how we find you yeah. on YouTube. So uh, and also I know you've um, done some recording with your group, The Immediate Family 
Cruel Twist is an awesome single. Um, when can we expect to hear the rest of the uh, the new album? Um, actually, right after this call, we have a Zoom meeting with the band and management, and we're putting together an EP that'll be out in probably October. And then the, the complete album, it's all done, but it'll be out after the first of the year. And we're there was a movie called The Wrecking Crew, and Denny Tedesco, who made that movie, is making a movie about us, too, and we're going to try to see if we can pull those together for album release and movie release. But, you know, once again, like everybody else, we, everything was impacted by this, the pandemic. So, you know, the skids went on and all the plans we were supposed to, our album was released in Japan and we were supposed to be going over there. And needless to say, if they'll cancel the Olympics, they'll, they'll cancel us getting over there for a while until it's safe. So, um, but come to the, come to the, uh, come to the party uh, on YouTube. I'm having the best time. I, something I never imagined doing. And because I go to YouTube all the time and watch other people's stuff and put up a couple of videos and it became a channel and there's about 117,000 people on my page now. So it's and pretty cool. Yeah. And you haven't been doing it for four months. So it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible, but that speaks to, uh, you know, how entertaining it is. So, um, I'm do, loving it. I'm so loving do, it. <laughs> do check that out Lee and, uh, or check that everybody and Lee, I'm, I'm just, uh, so glad that you took the time to, uh, to spend a little time with us here. Um, and I hope that you stay well. I know you're super careful. Um, yeah. and, uh, just, uh, wish, you wish too. the best for you. Thank you, you thank too. You. Every, everybody stay safe. And then all your listeners too, man, just do all you can to keep yourself and your family and friends safe. It's a scary time. That that it is, Lisa. Yeah, keep our fingers crossed for the season. Let's let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, let's hope it all goes well. Uh, yeah. So you know, we have a little little bit of good news uh, already today with some players coming back. So uh, great. So, uh, well, that's going to put a bow on this uh, doubleheader episode of Fantasy Baseball (laughs) in 15. So thank you again, Lee Sklar, uh, and for Lee and for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will be right back here on Thursday. Thursday.